0: From the John Clark Performance Studio, I'm Rachel Stewart, and welcome. I'm joined uh, today by members of an ensemble called L'Académie du Roi Soleil, soprano Margaret Carpenter Haig and keyboardist uh, Nicholas Haig. They're performing a series of concerts in the area featuring François Couperin's Three Lessons for Tenebrae, March 7th through 10th, and the locations are around Charlotte and in Winston-Salem. And Margaret and Nicholas, it's great to have you here today. Thank you for having
1: us. Thank you for having us.
0: So let's just start at the beginning. What are the Three Lessons for Tenebrae by François Couperin, and why did he write them?
1: So François Couperin composed um, these three leçons. In 1714 um, the service of Tenebrae is a it's a Holy Week service so Wednesday, Thursday and Friday and in fact he wrote um, corresponding works for the other days so the ones that survive that we're going to perform are for Wednesday and Holy Week and there's a Thursday set and a Friday set that have since been lost. Um, the original performance venue was the Abbe Royal de Longchamp which was a royal foundation, so it had a royal chapel attached to it. So uh, the king would have heard these pieces at the services during Holy Week. So they're a reflection on the Passion of Christ in his sort of final days.
2: And written into this music um, are these petite pauses or brief pauses um and that shows how this this piece is written for the service of Tenebrae, which is a gradual extinguishing of candles leading to utter darkness. So if we were to perform these, say in a in a service setting, you might have um, a number of candles that are lit that would be gradually extinguished after each um each verse more or less. There's a pause written in. But of course we're doing these in a more concert setting.
1: And to make it completely dramatic actually, <laughs> at the end you would slam the Bible shut. So there's a huge sort of thud. <laughs>
0: Right, people jump uh, out of their once seats. Once you
1: reach total darkness, and um, it's very <laughs> exciting.
0: What are you going to perform from this to start?
2: So um, the way that this this piece is constructed, you have three lessons. The first two are for solo soprano and continuo. The third lesson is for two sopranos and continuo. So we're not going to perform that today. Um, But we're going to perform excerpts from the first and second lesson. The first lesson begins with a short incipit, um, which says, here begin, incipit, here begin the Lamentations of Jeremiah the prophet. Um, And then that goes straight into um, the Hebrew letter Aleph, which um, each of the verses in the Lamentations of Jeremiah begin with a Hebrew letter. Um, So each verse is set off with a Hebrew letter Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Dalet, etc. So we have um, a few selections, the, the first, second, and third verse of the first chapter of Lamentations will we'll perform for you, maybe with a few um, breaks to talk about musical features. <laughs>
0: Margaret Carpenter Haig singing a selection from the first lesson for Tenebrae by Francois Couperin. And you also heard her husband, Nicholas Haig, performing a portable organ. And we might talk about that in just a minute. Uh, But uh, anyways, um, Margaret, can you talk a little bit about some of the features of that music that we just heard? Is there something unusual about the way it's written?
2: Sure. So there are two things that you might uh, quite... Quite promptly pick up on a one is that this this work is in Latin, but but not sung in the pronunciation you might expect. So we're singing "Quomodo sedet sola cibitas"? How lonely sits the city? Of course, we're singing this in in French Latin, which is a different kind of pronunciation um, that likely would have been used at the time. Um, another aspect is that there is so much ornamentation written into this into this work, and also expected. Um, agrément, which are, are little graces, small small trills, um, are, are littered across the score notated by little X's that Couperin has put in. So um, essentially, almost every downbeat is offset by an ornament. So it's it's taking you not to the um, vertical place that you might expect a downbeat at the beginning of a bar to take you to, but actually it's, it's lifting you up and placing you somewhere you don't quite expect.
0: So this is different from from what you normally find in Baroque music or music in well, general? Well,
2: this, um, this is typical for French music of the period. Um, such ornamentation um, goes very well with um, what French court life might have been like back in the 17th and 18th century. You didn't ever want to show your true self, so you, not, you didn't want to quite arrive at the downbeat on time. You wanted to leave people wondering a little bit.
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> it's also an interesting regional variant. So actually, um, there's a... A French composer who wrote in his treatise, I think it's Rameau, that you know, the Italians would write the music exactly how they wanted you to play it, whereas sort of you have to know how ours goes. Mm. It's a
0: oh, it's like if you're you're, you're really, either in the know or you're not you're exactly. You're not. Yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> so that could be embarrassing.
2: Yeah. Yeah. There's a um. There's actually a a um, person at court in in Louis the the court who writes about a dancer who came to court and didn't quite know the steps, and he just utterly embarrassed himself by turning the wrong way in his choreography and was basically laughed out of court. So it was very important to know the steps of the dance, if you were dancing, or know the appropriate ornamentation
0: and the music. Do you want to tell us, Nick, a little bit about this instrument that you're playing?
1: Of course. Um, so, this it's a little organ, um, also called a portative, or a portative. It's maybe two and a half to three feet wide, and... It has beautiful wood carvings. Um, it has mermaids, seahorses, uh, seahorses,
2: clams,
1: and coral. Uh, the design of this instrument is taken from a, a baroque organ from Mexico. Actually, mm. there's a there's a, a drawing or an engraving of an instrument, and so the the decoration on this one was inspired by that. Um, it's, it's a very convenient size. You can put it into a sort of mid-sized SUV and drive it <laughs> wherever you want. It has little itty-bitty keys to play. They're actually smaller than piano keys there. Is
0: it harder for you to play the narrow keys?
1: Um, I have to concentrate. You've got to think carefully about where your hands are going to go. And this
0: one is electric, right? But the originals obviously would have had exactly. some other method of getting air.
1: So uh, when Francois Couperin played the organ, he actually had to pay choir boys to come and pump the bellows, um, which was a somewhat thankless task. And um, so nowadays we have uh, electric blowers, no more relying on child labor. That's right, we have laws against that now.
0: Yeah. yeah. So what's, what are you going to sing next?
2: The next verse um, really starts with uh, melisma, um, a long passage on the Hebrew letter bet.
0: And can you explain melisma?
2: Yeah, so a melisma is when you have more than one note per syllable. So here we have about 100 notes for one syllable. <laughs> so you'll kind of be lulled into this contemplative, meditative state, which is kind of the point of this, of this music.
1: And actually, in, in Kupran's work, these melismas that are on the letters, um, if you imagine a copy of a medieval manuscript, the beginning of the text has that very decorated first letter often. So there's a big capital... The sort of offset to the top left and it might be decorated in color with leaves and vines hanging down or maybe it's shaped like the moon and there's i think there's one that has a dog in it mm. as a sort of joke but um what cooper doing is a similar idea he's taking the beginning of the verse and then decorating it um with that sort of skill and color that the medieval illustrator might have had <laughs>
0: A selection from Three Lessons for Tenebrae by Francois Couperin, sung by soprano Margaret Carpenter Haig, and uh, she was accompanied by organist, in this case, or keyboardist, Nicholas Haig, uh, who are members of L'Académie du Roi Soleil, and I wonder if you guys could talk a little bit about why you are called L'Académie du Roi Soleil. I know it's connected to the Couperin. Um, Can you explain that? Yeah,
2: so um, Roi Soleil means Sun King, which was a um, a name that Louis the Fourteenth used. Um, he identified, self identified as Apollo, um, so he didn't have a messiah complex at all. Um, but anyway, so so we are, are referencing Louis the Fourteenth, a huge patron of the arts in seventeenth and eighteenth century France, um, and uh, we we perform a lot of French music from the time, not not exclusively French music, but that's um, much of what we've done. Um, our The first time we ever made music together actually was making music, um, was was this piece, was François Couperin's Les Sons de Ténèbres. Um, so this piece is very dear to us and we are delighted to bring it um, under the auspices of our ensemble to the Charlotte area.
0: So there are other members besides you at times, correct?
1: Yes, we have a sort of um, a roster of musicians that we've worked with, so... Um for this set of concerts, we're going to be joined by David Bevan Ellis, who lives in Cleveland, Ohio, and uh, Hannah De Priest, who is currently based in Chicago. So she's our other soprano. Mm-hmm.
0: And these are the concerts that are coming up March seventh through tenth. Correct. Three That's of them in Charlotte, and one of them in Winston Salem.
2: Yeah, and it's nice having. Um, we are basically the the study members of the ensemble, and we we cultivate a um, a roster of people that that we enjoy working with um, and that are really wonderful musicians. And it's, it's nice to have a, have a somewhat stable roster, but also be able to in, in, include people from different places and at different times. And
0: I guess we should mention, Margaret, you're from Charlotte. Yes. Originally. And Nick, you're not. <laughs> you're. No,
1: I grew up in England, just outside London. Um, and I actually went to school and university in England, which is where I met Margaret. Um, and the early concerts we did, in particularly with this work, well when we were still travelling back and forth a lot um visiting
0: so this piece is or this music is really really special for you
2: yeah it is it's it's it was the first musical collaboration we really had um on a, on an intimate level with with small numbers of of players um so it's it's a piece that we've gotten to know well and we've gotten to know each other musically very well through this this kind of music which is also fun working with a spouse. It's, a, it's an interesting dynamic, but um, one that I, th-
0: I think we do well. <laughs> We're, still We're still married right. anyway. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> well, so far, so good today, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, what are you going to play next? Um, i next, next.
2: Next, we have um, another verse from the first lesson. Um, it starts with the Hebrew letter, Gimel, um, and it talks about the um, captivity of Judah um, because of affliction. This, this piece is all about the destruction and desolation of Jerusalem.
1: One feature of this verse, um, particularly and this melisma that you're about to hear, on the word Gimel, is um, something called inegalite, or, or inequality. So in French Baroque music, um, it's sort of considered to be common practice for there to be a level of sort of swung rhythm, almost like jazz. Um, and in this movement, it's really the eighth notes uh, which have a sort of ebb and flow uh, to them rather like we were talking earlier in the ornamentation about not quite being your true self the eighth notes are never strict you sort of, they have a sort of coy ebb and flow and um there's a lot of discussion in the 20th century now in in academia about whether this also applies to music from other parts of the world um, we do know that um the french considered the italians to not have this inequality, this rhythmic ebb and flow. The Italians were precise and they wrote the music how they wanted it to be played. Um, but um, it's something interesting to listen for, it gives the music a kind of lilt, lilting quality.
0: Soprano Margaret Carpenter Haig and keyboardist, organist Nicholas Haig performing a selection from the first lesson for Tenebrae by Francois Couperin, and you're listening to From the John Clark Performance Studio here at WDAV. You have one more selection, I believe, to perform. Do you want to tell us about that? Sure.
2: This last selection um, is a textual refrain that, that appears after each lesson. Um, that says, "Jerusalem, turn again to the Lord your God." So, in the midst of all this this chaos, this destruction, um, you know, find find your way again. And this, I think, is these refrains are some of the most absolutely ravishing musical bits of of the work. Um, the first two, being for solo soprano, are of course just soprano and and um, continuo. In this case, gamba and organ, and right here, just organ. The second one is this this just magical duet between these two soprano voices that are that are trading places and and going above and below each other and it's it's really really beautiful what Couperin does with a very very short textual fragment
0: selection from Three Lessons for Tenebrae by Francois Couperin, music written for the Wednesday before Easter. And we are listening to soprano Margaret Carpenter Haig and uh, organist Nicholas Haig, who are part of an ensemble called L'Académie du Roi Soleil, which will be performing uh, these Three Lessons for Tenebrae by Couperin in various locations in our area in coming days, and of course, this music is, is pretty timely since we are in the season of Lent and uh, Easter is around the corner. You want to tell us where you're performing?
1: So our first performances are on um, Wednesday, the 7th of March. Uh, we're playing at lunchtime at Tate Hall. I think it's 1230.
2: Yeah, 1230 on the Central Piedmont Community College campus, Tate it's Hall, Tate which hall. is a recital hall.
1: And then at 7 o'clock at St. Peter's Episcopal Church. That's also on the 7th of March. Um, and then on Thursday, March the 8th, we're at 7 o'clock in Francis Chapel at Myers Park United Methodist Church. And then on Saturday at Centenary United Methodist in Winston-Salem, also at 7, and that's a collaboration with the uh, choir.
2: Yeah, their chamber singers um, will be singing a piece by um, Marc-Antoine Charpentier called "Beatus Fier," and we'll be joining them for that. So that will be a fun uh, addition to that concert.
1: They're all free. Yeah. They're all free. <laughs> Even
0: better. <laughs> Those concerts sound great, uh, great music for this time of year in particular, and I want to thank you, Margaret Carpenter Haig and Nicholas Haig, for coming in and sharing this music by Couperin, explaining it to us. Many of us are not that familiar with it, so... Really appreciate you being here. Thanks for having us.
1: Thank you for having us.
0: You've been listening to From the John Clark Performance Studio here at WDAV. I'm Rachel Stewart.